Hey, podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual biblical symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8 to 9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Benton for a live recording of the Bible's Literature Podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at ephesusschool.org. You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with The Bible is Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Today, Father Paul continues his discussion of Genesis chapter 1. One thing I think it's important for listeners to pay close attention to is the way that Father Paul reads the text. He stresses that we want to read the text in the order that it's presented. The first time a word appears in a text controls the meaning of the word as it appears later on in the text. So it's essential to follow the order in which we find the text, beginning with the beginning and going to the end. You're not allowed to just jump around and read what you feel like. The text is there as a unit, and it begins in one place and continues on later. And this is one of the reasons why Father Paul spends so much time on these early chapters, especially the early verses of the first chapter. And when you pay attention to order, you notice a number of things. And one example that Father Paul calls out on today's program, Richard, is the fact that the human beings and the animals were created together on the sixth day of creation, whereas the earth was created earlier over a period of two days. So just in the order of the days of creation, which begin not with the first day, Father Paul will explain but with one day, just in that order, you see already how the human being is put in his proper context. Father Paul will explain that this is another example of how Scripture goes against the tendency of philosophy and theology towards anthropocentrism. The other side of that is there's only one reference for what is good, and that's God. One of the main points that he makes is that God is the one who declares what is good, and it is God's decision that makes something good. It is God's declaration that makes it good. Human beings are not the reference. God decides what is good for his creation and his plan. I am very happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. So we have one day, and notice very importantly, that the first time this 24-hour period is mentioned, we do not have first day as very often people assume, not all the time, but very often that on the first day and the second day. and No, at the beginning, there was no first day because there was no day, 24 hours. Again, from the perspective of Genesis 1. It is God that 
made that period of 24 hours to function as a day and be repeated. Later, this will have its importance, but I don't want to jump the gun, but I have to here and there, you know. The sun and the moon, as we shall see, are not named on purpose. They were mighty deities in those times. And they are there just to be functional in separating the day from the night. That's all. Okay. In other words, they serve to help the human being live his life. So now and then I'm forced just to show the hearers the importance of recalling. I could have left it and then later pointed to it. But I think in these podcasts, it makes it, if you like, simpler so that the hearers would get into the mood of listening carefully to every word, to every verb, and to the sequence in each of the phrases and sentences. And not assume anything. You have to submit to the text and hear it. We have here the day and night, evening, morning, and again, one day. You have it even in RSV. Very clearly in Greek, imera mia, one day. In Latin, dies unus, one. In other words, the one here is a cardinal number. It's not like second later. So we don't have here first. And I want to stress it again and again and again and again. Obviously, in Hebrew, you have Yom Ehad. And then beginning with day two, we hear the ordinal numbers. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. So that is the importance of, if you like, I don't like it very much, but you're forced to say it so long as my hearers do not say, ah, great, I love this statement, that God created time. Well, fine, he did create time. (laughs) That's very important, but not because it's impressive. It's because this functionality will be central in the functioning of the earth. Remember, the sun and the moon. And then the functionality of the human being living, you know, day and night. Day is the most essential division in the life of the human being. And thus the text is really overbearing in saying that the basis of what you are came from God. So on this day one, technically, God had to create the day. So he created the sequence of time. And the second day and the third day we shall see two days in a row, very important. And in a way, 
not important. Time is very important. It's the sequence of day. But more closely essential for the life of the human being, it is the earth. And God will spend two days to get it the way it's supposed to. And that will bring me to say against all the anthropocentric philosophy. By definition, it's anthropocentric. You know, anyone who starts philosophizing and theologizing thinks that in the beginning there was me and I'm the center of everything. You're not. Okay. The human being, and let me hit my hearers early with that, is relegated to the sixth day and he is part of a total creation. On the sixth day, God made the animals and the human beings. But he took two days to make the earth. Very important. And that will be seen already at the end on the third day, where the earth starts producing things. I mean, under the command of God, but technically, when I read with you the text, you will see it is as though the earth is automatically producing things out of its own. And then brings to mind always that unique text in the Gospel of Mark. It's the only time where we have the word automatic, automati, in this very short parable that is found only in Mark. The kingdom of God is like someone who plants the seed and then he sleeps, he awakens, and the seed grows automatically. Unbelievable. It is, in my ears, the most powerful parable. In other words, you do not count. You just happen to be there, and you have to do something with it according to the rules that are set there. And philosophy and theology, what it does, it creates your own world. The human being becomes divine, and that will be smashed in chapter 3 very soon. I hope that my hearers understand that if I'm mentioning a few texts later, is to help them understand not that what I just said is already there in verses 3, 4, 5, but to invite them to hear every single word, the way it is phrased and how it is mentioned. And keep this in mind so that when we get later we will not have forgotten that and fall in this philosophical trap. How do we prevent ourselves from falling into that trap? Because it's so easy when God says it's good and there's no definition here of what good is that we just fill it in with our own ideas. The answer is already there, Richard. The texts say, and God saw that it was good. It is repeated at the end of each day and culminates and he saw that it was very good but all this is found intensively 
in conjunction with God's saying and action. In other words, the human being has no function in delineating what is good. Now, this, I believe, you know, Scripture has become a known word for me, prepares or explains, doesn't matter. At one point, you're going to be hit with, seek me, seek the good. And thus, ultimately, and Adam and Eve will learn this soon, that what is good is what God says is good. And thus, obedience is not a virtue the way it developed in theology. Obedience is good because you are obedient to the command that came from God, which command is good for you. I remember <laughs> Father James Parnell at the Comprehensive. I heard the story from Professor Barnett. He said in front of everybody, okay, we all know that you are a fan of Father Paul. James, tell us, is there any ethics in Scripture? And he said with a smile, absolutely not. There are no ethics. There is no Aristotle that try to convince you that ethics and we decide. No. What is good is what God posits as good. Only then you are prepared. Obviously, I'm making a leap, but scripture is one. The famous, really famous and infamous chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, when Paul three times prays that the thorn in his flesh be taken away, and we all know the rest of the story. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it is functional in my plan. Now, to philosophize and say, thus pain is good, and so, no, 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 that's not the idea. <laughs> if God sends it for its own purpose, then it becomes functional in the totality of things, and this is the good. So it's not a good for me and for my family and so on. That's, that's the anthropocentrism. It is good. Mitchell Dahoud has shown, and convincingly for me, that the word good in Psalms very often refers to the rain that gives life and so on. So this is the way I would look at it. There is no good and evil. And then you decide what is good and what is evil. What God decided is good for the plan for his creation is the good. And you seek him and his word of command. And that is good. Only God is good. But you can hear this philosophically in the New Testament as the fathers did. No, the first instance of the use of a word, as I stress so many times in my rise of scripture, gives you the definition. Later, we shall see quickly, let's not enter it, uh, where I show the hearers, my readers, that it is 
animalic life that defines what family is. Because the first time we have the word clan, mishpacha, it is used of the animals. But what we do, we assume in our mind that, oh, he, the author is treating the animals the way as though he's speaking about the human being. That's not how literature functions. So the first time the word light was used, we have to give it importance. The same applies to good. And that is painful. Now, is pain good? I didn't say that pain was good. I said that God is good and what he says is good is good. And you know that this good is linked with light the first time, which is functional because it was introduced by God. We have to keep this in mind. That's all I can say. It's going to come again and again and again, but I had the opportunity to go on a few asides. And the intention is not so much to push the explanation, but to really remember the old CDs. We had to format them. I'm trying as much as possible to format the ears, hopefully the mind of my hearers, so that they would get attuned to hear the text as literature. In other words, the text is saying what it wants to say. And you have to submit that is the importance in my reference all the time to the original hearers, meaning the original addressees in the mind of the authors. I don't have to go and ask them. You know, you have to figure out from the times because otherwise, just to jump ahead, you're not going to be that impressed that the author referred to the sun of the moon as the lesser and greater luminary and so on. And you enter into theology because there is only one God and we know all that. That's the funny thing about theology. you know. We all know already. But that's the evil seed that was planted by Plato, that knowledge is the reminiscence of what your eternal soul knew already. You remember. I mean, for heaven's sakes. But let's not go on the tangent of Plato because I need him for all my podcasts in the future. <laughs> we like to use Plato to get you revved yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know that. That's why I, I bring him myself first so that I'll have a control of how I'm going to use him. <laughs> anyway, Fantastic. thank you very much. Thank you. Remember in baptism, when you spit three times, <laughs> you're spitting on Plato. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to show you this technically when we get to chapter three. You have to be patient. It's going to take us time. I said it in my book that the serpent intentionally, it is clearly Plato. Anyway, thank you again. Thank you very much, Father. Take care, Father. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.